Father, thank you for this church and thank you for uh, just enabling us to serve you. Uh, Thank you for your spirit that guides us and keeps us. And thank you for your precious word. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight to deliver this message and uh, what you put on my heart. I pray I wouldn't leave anything out, uh, but I pray uh, you would use it uh, for your glory and your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what I'm going to be preaching tonight is uh, a little loosely on Proverbs 4.23. You don't have to trace just one verse, so I could just read it for you. But uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, tell uh, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And, you know, when you think about it, why would uh, it require diligence to love or maintain a relationship with a God who died for us? Uh, Why would it require effort uh, to stay close to a Lord who answers our prayers and who's holy, right? You know, for example, I love Rocky Road ice cream. It requires no effort on my part. Uh, it, I don't have to maintain that relationship. It requires no diligence. It's, it's there, you know. Uh, I've loved the ice cream for years, and I'll probably love it for years to come. Uh, but the reason why, of course, and we all know, is if you're saved here tonight, you have two natures. You have uh, the flesh that hates God and the things of God, and you have the spirit that loves God, right? And so as long as we're alive, we're going to have that war inside of us, right? going back and forth. Uh, you ever been in this, maybe you've been saved long enough to where you've had a situation in your life where, uh, you know, maybe you've gotten away from God and uh, you, you're, uh, uh, you're not going to church, or you're not reading your Bible, and, uh, you know, maybe during that time, maybe you feel convicted or guilty, so you pick up a Bible or you inadvertently hear a hymn, and it has a really powerful effect on you. And you think to yourself, wow, I really need to get back to God. Or, or the flip side, like you're doing everything you should do, uh, you're where you're supposed to be, but your heart gets cold, and you're not, uh, uh, you're not all there. The relationship is, even though you're doing everything you're, you should be doing, the relationship isn't really there. Uh, so we have our spiritual ups and downs, and First uh, John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Right? Uh, sometimes it can be grievous if we don't have that right relationship. That's a sign uh, that something's wrong, right? And I think it's because a lot of times we Christians, we allow things to kind of creep in unawares. Uh, behind every external sin, there's usually something going on on the inside, right? Usually a spiritual sin precedes a carnal sin. That's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. You know, for example, uh, when you're asked why Israel wasn't allowed into the promised land, you might think, well, it's because of they worshiped the golden calf or because uh, they're, they're murmuring or they're complaining. But the book of Hebrews tells us that it was ultimately because of unbelief. Um, if you think about why God destroyed Sodom, um, what comes to mind is your sexual deviance or perversion. But Ezekiel tells us it was pride, fullness of of, uh, bread, and abundance of idleness. So there's usually something behind our sins, a spiritual sin, usually behind a carnal sin. And so what I want to do is I just want to 
talk about, I'm just going to take three verses, right? And we're just going to talk about these things a little bit. And um, the, the three verses that kind of deal with these issues uh, through the life of Lot. And these three verses have three, three things in common, all right? They're broad. They're broad in scope with multiple applications. You know, God knew in eternity past that there would be different cultures and different types of dress and different types of music. And so he provided verses that a Christian could always go to for guidance, right? Whatever question, moral question they might have. Uh, these verses require honesty on the part of the believer. Okay? A lot of Christians, unfortunately, if they're new or carnal or whatever, they might go into the Bible with their own agenda and they'll look for verses to back up what they want to do or don't want to do. And so these verses kind of, uh, it requires honesty on the part of the Christian to uh, uh, use these, these verses. And lastly, it, these verses are good at looking at our motives, right? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But I think these verses especially will look at the motives of a believer. So our first verse is in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Well, therefore, ye eat or drink whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Pretty broad, right? A lot of different applications. You can be applied in all kinds of uh, different ways. Um, let's turn to Genesis 13. And I'll just uh, start reading verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might uh, dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Prizite uh, dwelled in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren." Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right. And if thou depart the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and behold, beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like unto the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all this plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. 
But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So uh, you have the situation where Abraham and Lot went out together. And, of course, they were both very rich and they had uh, a lot of cattle and a lot of livestock. And they had a lot of uh, servants and there was strife between them. So rather than have that strife, they decided to split up. And uh, we see that Lot uh, lifted up his eyes. And he seems to make a decision based on sight. Now, I don't want to pick on Lot. I mean, there might be some things or details that God intentionally left out of his word. Uh, but we don't see Lot praying before making that decision. Uh, we don't see Lot asking Abraham, his uncle, one of the wisest men in the Bible. We don't see him going to him for advice. Right? He seems to have made a decision based upon sight. Now, in his defense, he had his family, he had his servants, he had a big entourage to provide for, so there was a lot of pressure. But it didn't seem like a spiritual uh, decision. Now, of course, we could do the same thing, right? Um, When you get married, right? Now, according to the scriptures, there's two requirements. You have to be saved. And they have to be the opposite gender. But does that mean you should just marry uh, someone who's saved, who you happen to have feelings for? Um, A lot of times young people will fall in love or they'll have feelings for somebody because of their looks or their appearance. And they'll make a decision based upon sight. When the the question really is, will this bring glory to God? Will this marriage, will this relationship bring glory to God? To God. Uh, but you can apply it to anything, right? Um, when we move, right? Uh, you don't have to stay in Connecticut. You can move to Hawaii if you have the money or, or anywhere else, right? But uh, do we pray about it beforehand? Is there a church that we can go to where, where, where we plan to move to? Will that move bring glory to God? Our career path. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, what we can do or what we can't do to support ourselves, right? But there's questions we need to ask. Uh, will this job take us away from our families for an extended period of time? Uh, will this job bring glory to God, right? So whatever we do, we should bring glory to God, and we can apply it to anything. Um, Switching churches, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to stay in a church. You can go to another church. Uh, but are you leaving a church because of something petty? Uh, are you, do you have another church that you can go to? Will that move bring glory to God, right? So in every aspect of our lives, whatever we're going through, the question is, will that decision bring glory to God? Right. It's not enough just to go into the Bible to see, well, is this forbidden or is this okay? The question is, will it bring glory to God? Um, And only the individual can answer this. Right. It's very personal. It's between God and the the Christian. Uh, Second verse. uh, Colossians 3, 2.
Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Again, another broad verse, right? Covers a lot of territory. Let's go back to Genesis 19. And in verse 1 through 7, uh, there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. You shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into him, turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both, young, both old and young and all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after them and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Uh, you know, we see Lot's respect and reverence for these two angels, right? Uh, they came into the city. Bible says he bowed down with his face toward the ground. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, he, he convinced them to come into his home. He prepared this impromptu feast. Uh, he displayed a great amount of effort and respect and reverence, but his affections weren't there. And we'll read the next verse to see why. Verse 11. I'm just sort of skipping a couple of verses there. But in verse 11, they smote the men. They're at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And when the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law or thy sons and thy daughters and Whatsoever thou hast in the city, <clears throat> bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, oh, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning rose, when the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife. Thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, uh, the men laid hold on his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And so <clears throat> we see Lot lingering and delaying, uh, seemingly not wanting to leave. Right uh, now. The men of Sodom surrounded his house. And in all probability, everyone in that house was going to be raped and killed. But here's Lot lingering. Uh, and, and not what, to the point where God had to actually take him and physically take him out of the city before he destroyed it. Lot knew what the angels were going to do. Right? Lot knew that God was going to destroy the city. And Lot's wealth was entangled or tied to the city. 
He knew he would have lost everything. You know, as a group, and, and his wife too, uh, we see uh, his wife and Lot had the same priorities, but they were different from God's. Uh, you know, we as a group, Christians in general, tend to kind of give ourselves a pat on the back uh, for believing the truth and, and loving God. But often we're comparing ourselves to uh, a culture that's morally confused, to say the least. And, uh, you know, in Second Timothy, we read that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's not too many kids that run around named the name of Demas, right? He's uh, forever the picture of a Christian who put their hand to the plow and then turned back. But Paul calls Demas a fellow laborer in the book of Philemon. So even though Demas didn't finish his course, he got started. How many Christians in America today, saved Christians, their affection for God doesn't translate into any type of service or labor? From that perspective, Demas isn't looking so bad. But, you know, it's easy in this world to set our affections on things uh, around us, right? The world is in our face. It's everywhere. And, uh, you know, the big one, uh, when, when you think about someone who sets their affections on this world instead of God, the big one is, of course, is money. Um, I'll just read some stats for you. According to the National Council of Aging, 5% of all elderly Americans will be exploited financially. So that's one in 20. But the kicker is 60% of the time, it'll be their own children doing it. In 2022, 1 million cars were stolen in the United States. That's average of 1.9 cars every minute. And according to some numbers, 9% of Americans shoplift. And the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Now, Christians don't. These, these, this is kind of extreme. I mean, most, nobody in here tonight, I don't think, is going to steal money from their parents, right? But for Christians, it's a little more subtle. Um, it, it's a little more toned down. <coughs> for example, uh, the American dream. How easy is it to transfer your affections for, for God to a nice home in the suburbs with a white picket fence and a nice SUV in the driveway, right? There's nothing wrong with those things, but there's a lot of Americans who set their heart on that. Um, I've seen Christians move their affection from God to politics. I had a good friend of mine years ago who loved the Lord very much, and gradually that love for God was replaced with his enthusiasm for uh, conservative politics to the point where last time I checked, he wasn't even going to church. I've seen quite a few people derailed that way. Um, It's easy for a Christian to set their affections on their own children ahead of God. Don't get me wrong. We should all love our kids. Sorry, I woke up with a sore throat this morning. I'm feeling fine, but for whatever reason, I have a sore throat. Um, 
children should feel loved by their parents and, and affection and protection, but they don't come before God. Or it could be anything. TV, sports, uh, computer, pets, on and on it goes, right? It's so easy to <coughs> transfer our affections to things of this world. Uh, our last verse, Philippians 4.8. <coughs> So we talked about the first verse is what we do, do all to the glory of God. The second verse was our heart and affections, right? Set your affections on things above. The third verse is Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And we'll turn back to Genesis 19. We'll look at Lot one more time. In verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. And he feared to dwell in Zorb. And he dwelt in a cave, uh, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Now, usually this <coughs> kind of sin requires a real downward spiral and a long trail of, of wicked thinking. Now, while I don't think that Lot participated in uh, the sin of Sodom and everything that was going on. I do think it impacted his heart and his thoughts. Um, it's much easier to not think a thought or cut the thought off than to go down that path and then come back. Right? Uh, but it doesn't have to be lost. I mean, that, this is the context here with Lot. But it could be anything. Like, um, unlike a lot of men, I'm not really an aggressive driver. So people who cut me off really bother me. Um, you know, I'll be driving along either early in the morning or late at night or whatever. <clears throat> and nobody else is on the road and somebody will pull out of a, you know, a store parking lot. They can't wait two seconds for me to get by. So they'll risk an accident just to kind of get their, you know, get out there. And if I'm not careful, I, I always get really upset with this, but uh, if I'm not careful, it leads to something else. You know, I'll be mad at that, and I'll think, oh, I'm mad at this, too, and this, too. And for a long, it could ruin my day or a good part of my day. And so I've learned to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, cutting that thought off before entertaining it and going down that path and then having to come back, right? But that applies to anything. Um, bitterness. There are a lot of Christians who have missed out on God's blessings or have not noticed God's blessings because they won't let go of something that happened in their past. 
maybe they were mistreated as a child. Maybe uh, they, there was a failed marriage, whatever the case may be. But they've allowed bitterness to consume them, and it occupies their thoughts constantly. And in the process, they've missed out on that peace and all the other blessings that God intended for them. And it's quite possible to ruin our lives when we're like that. Covetousness. You know, pastor was talking about debt. Right? Not all debt is due to covetousness, but a lot of it is. Um, you know, how easy it is in our society to look at this display or that display and want things that we don't have. All you have to do is log into the Internet, right, and ads pop up everywhere. And you're usually tailored to the things that you want, you know. Second Corinthians 10.5, uh, casting down imaginations and every... Uh, Casting down imaginations and every high thought, high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Uh, and a lot of Christians will say, well, I just don't have any peace in the Lord. Well, there, there's a qualifier to that, right? God is not going to give Brother Mike Syrette peace if he's driving around mad all the time, Right? It's conditioned. Um, we see what happened to Lot. Right? Because of his not bringing glory to God, because of his uh, thought process, where his affections were, the children that would be born to him would be Ammon and Moab, who would be uh, a thorn in Israel's side for countless generations. <coughs> and he would lose everything. Just to close... One more verse, uh, Revelation chapter 3. Sorry about the coffin. Revelation 3.20. Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And I've often wondered how many times, you know, I was telling my life group, talking about this with my life group, you know, I'm 56 years old. We don't know how much time we have. You know, another day isn't promised to us. And I've wondered how many times during the course of my life Christ was standing at the door knocking. But I was too busy doing something that doesn't bring him glory or my affections were misplaced or my thought process was incorrect. We're only given so much time to love the Lord, right? To do things for his glory, uh, to think about spiritual things and to keep our affections on things above. Like I said, there's a lot of other verses like this that are very broad that we could use. But often, unfortunately, they, they kind of get neglected. And these kind of verses would help out in any type of, of situation.